Second Corinthians chapter 11, 7 through 15, and verse 20. If you would please follow with me in the reading of the Word of God. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you, I was in need. I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. Verse 20. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, and anyone hits you in the face. Father, help us to hear these words. Father, help us to be uh, wary. And yet, Father, as we know throughout history, there have been the imposters. So many. And you warned us that as the end of the age... People will not hear sound words and will heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. Father, let us be discerning. Let us not be gullible. Let us not be deceived as the Corinthians were. And Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the authority of your word and the power of your spirit. Guard us, Lord. Protect us. Help those of us in leadership in teaching positions, not be swayed to or fro, but Father, stand firmly on the truth of the word and the power of your spirit to protect and to encourage those that you bring to our lives. Thank you, my King. Thank you, my Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Let me review this a little bit because this is our last message in this section, and it's the contrast between the true and false, and, and how did we get here? Okay, why are we here? And, and I shared with you that in chapter 10 through halfway through chapter 12 is dealing with spiritual warfare. If you look at chapter 10, verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not a war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. It literally means tearing down of fortresses. And then he defines it. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, What we're looking at now is a contrast between the soldiers. You have soldiers of righteousness and you have soldiers of darkness. Okay, You have soldiers of truth and you have soldiers of the lie. All right, so you have the true and the false, and yet they're going to be 
together. I was reading some stuff on the Battle of the Bulge. And, 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 you know, you read that and it was one of the greatest battles and highest casualties of World War II. And, you know, people will talk about, well, it was cold. It was one of the coldest winters in the history of Europe and yada, yada. But one of the greatest tragedies of the Battle of the Bulge was there were multiple groups of Germans dressed as Americans speaking fluent English, giving chaos changing road signs, giving wrong instructions, giving wrong uh, information, which direction were the Germans, where they were, where they weren't. And they were behind the lines, and they looked just like Americans. They talked like Americans, except they were there to deceive. Even to the point, Omar Bradley had to show his papers. And he was the commander of all the forces in the area. All right? I mean, George Patton was under Bradley. And yet he had to show us because everybody was gun shy about these Germans who were dressed as Americans. They were disguised. Okay. When I look at this and I think about it, it's easy for me to say, okay, this is true and this is false. But one of the things that I have watched the body of Christ, for whatever reason, has never gotten it. All right. And, and, and we fall susceptible to it on a regular basis. It's really a cursory looking at church history says, well, look, it happened again. OK, and it is the enemy disguises themselves as Christians. They speak Christianese and they're fluid at it. But they're not real. They're not real. And they are behind the lines wreaking havoc. And we just, we, we, ah, but I think that they just, they're, they're, they intended well. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Listen, if you challenge a person, they teach something and it's error. All right. They, they come up with something and it's, it's erroneous. And you say, well, Actually, according to scriptures, this is what truth is. And then you can defend it biblically. Okay. You get one of two responses. Oh, I did not understand that. Or you get another response. Okay. And they become hostile. Okay. And... When they become hostile, I know what the problem is. Instantaneously. Right? If they're willing, as Isaiah says, let us reason from the scriptures. Okay? Then you know that they are with you. If they immediately are hostile towards you, you know that that's an enemy. Okay? They are there to sow chaos. If you look at this outline that I have given you, you see the mark of the true is humility, truth, and love. Okay? The false would be just the opposite of that. Okay? They, they are prideful. Listen, if a person is prideful and you share with them truth of their error, what's their response going to be? 
It's volatile. It's, it's, you know, and I got into trouble. I remember the last time I got to speak at, our, speak at our denomination, and I've never been asked back. It's kind of interesting. It, that's fine. I don't, I, I don't care. I made a statement that offended all kinds of people. I had more people wanting to challenge me after my message than I have anything. And you got to understand, this was all church leadership. Okay, this was not open to the average Baptist. This was for pastors and, and leaders in the churches, lay leaders and all these other cool terms that they come up with. And I made a statement, and this one statement offended more people than anything. There are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. Now, is that that hard to understand? Okay, there are multiple applications. But you're not going to give multiple interpretations. All right, and it offended people. Now, you got to also understand that I went... (laughs) I spoke after a pastor who was using ballet to share the gospel, uh, which is, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> All right. So I, I you know, and I, I made the comment from the pulpit that I would have never been saved because I hate ballet. <laughs> I mean, on a good day, I don't like ballet. So anyway, so, you know, I share this with you and my text was the text that I shared out of Acts 20. Uh, saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, the blood of innocent man is not on my hands, or I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. So mine was a little different than ballet. When I think about the false pride, one of the things that I've seen about pride is it is so normal that we don't deal with it. Because if you look at it, it is in every every weaving and thread of our society in some form or another. You're not going to believe this. I'm glad you're sitting down. The pulpit is not immune to it. Okay, and and I look at it, and I've coined a new phrase about the church in America today. Had mixed reviews. I call it pop religion. Okay, it um, it's kind of like pop music. It is. It's got a nice beat. What the heck does that mean? Okay. Well, what does it accomplish? But but I look at our our country today, and we are into pop religion. I, that is the deception. You know, I was coming down the hill this morning. Uh, I came to church early. I was coming down about seven o'clock this morning, and I was coming down the hill, and the, the Catholic church was packed. At 7 o'clock in the morning. The sun hadn't really made an appearance. It was kind of a, a, a gray color. But you're like, and I'm sitting there going, they must have been stayed overnight. Because nobody gets up at 6.30 in the morning to go to church. But I thought, you know, why is that? Why is it that people are willing to, to do that? At 6.30 in the morning to follow error. Why is that? But then I realized that the people, the, the prayer group is wanting to pray for the Catholic Church. And I said, I'll pray for them under one circumstance. And they were like, oh, this is going to be good. That they get saved. 
Okay? Because, listen, I've heard people try to tell me, well, you know, there's people in the Catholic Church who are probably saved. Why do you believe that? Why would anybody believe that? You know what? You better hope you change your thinking before you go to heaven and run into Martin Luther. Okay, because they wanted to kill him. And I, I don't understand how you can look at their system and say, well, you know, they're really close. Well, do you know what the word sin is in the Greek? What it means? Missed the mark. So, you know what that means? Really close don't work. You still missed the mark. When I think about the false, and I think about pride and deception, and how gullible we tend to be, then I want to take you to verse 20 now. Because this is spiritual war. Remember, this church was founded by the Apostle Paul. All right? You, you, you're, you, you've got to admit that this is probably a solid church. It's a good church. They followed Paul, the doctrines of Paul. He says this, For you tolerate it. And I look at the false and they become abusive. They're abusive. They see, they see people as tools. They see people as a means to an end. But I want to remind you of something. They're subtle. They're subtle. They disguise themselves. They can be extraordinarily flattering. They can be extraordinarily charming. Charismatic even. They, they just, they make you feel like they care. It's just obvious I look at it. He has to care for us. But the truth of the matter is, when I hear people say, we did a, 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 a study of your area and you can afford a few more churches. What do you mean I can afford a few more churches? Your income base in your community Huh. But we're not in it for the money. That's interesting to me. Why? That means that the people are a means to an end. They are disguised. If I think about the marks of a true, a true servant of the Lord, because of humility, truth, and love, they are in it for the glory of the Lord. Period. All right. But I look at the false and I see if they're prideful, then their foundation will be greed. They are deceptive because they disguise themselves and they are abusive because the Corinthian church was so gullible that they didn't even see the abuse. The literal Greek phrase there in verse 20, for you tolerate, you bear with anybody. You will take anybody in. But and we do that because we are told to love. 
So I'll take anybody in. We have a new person in town. And, and I ran off a guy here not too long ago who came and he said he's publishing a book. And we sit and chit chat for a minute. And I told him he wasn't welcome. And I'm sure that that's not the norm in churches today. But I have enough things to deal with without a wolf coming in with a cute grin on his face. Okay, so I run him off. I said, no, you're not welcome here. And, you know, now I didn't run around and broadcast it. I'm going to tell you who it was, but he wasn't welcome. All right. He had deviant theology and he's trying to make money. Would you be willing to sell this? No. Would you be willing to read this? No. If I'm not willing to sell it, I ain't willing to read it. Do you you see what I'm trying to get at? Paul's telling the Corinthians, whoever shows up, you just embrace them. Look, even you will embrace anybody. Look what the text says. Anyone who enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself or hits you in the face. Any of them. You say yes in the name of love. Peace and tranquility. You bear this beautifully. Verse 4 of chapter 11. And, and what's he speaking of there? If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, a different gospel you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully. Listen. I understand that it is uncomfortable to confront people. Right? People have it in their minds that I just run around looking to pick a fight. I don't. I keep my mouth shut and I listen. And if they say something stupid, I will look them in the eye with my cute little grin and say, that's stupid. Okay? I, and, and you know what? If it's a young person in Christ, I will try to help them understand what the scripture says based on being stupid. Okay? If it's a leader, that's a different ball game. Okay? Because a leader is leading others in the deception. Paul in this verse 20 says, here comes these false and there is no big deal. Really? Even though his first phrase there is they enslave you. Now think about that for a minute. They seduce you with the lies and they will rob people of their freedom in Christ. All right. You'll hear it said this way. I've never been more free. Really? then you did not know the relationship with Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I was 19 years old, I could go and do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. And I was making about $900,000 a year cash at 19. And the world standard... I wasn't doing too bad. 
I could do whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, as long as I wanted to do it. I was an entrepreneur. All right? I have greater freedom now than I ever did then. Because I was enslaved then. They enslave you. The lie will take a person of the truth and put them back in chains. And a lot of this, you've got to understand, there's two religions on the planet Earth right now. Right? One is works. I don't care what you name it. I don't care what you call it. You can throw any name on it you want. You can make it all fluffy and puffy. You can do anything you want with it. Create your own. All right? But it's your works. All right? The other one is by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. That's all there is. One will put you back in the bondage that you had before Christ. And it's usually a work system of some type. I mean, I don't, it comes in so many different colors that you can, you know, I don't, you can call it Hinduism, Confucius, you can call it Judaism, you can call it Islam, I don't care what you call it. You call it the Mormons, you call it JWs, you call it the Catholics, I don't care. It's all works. You do this and you'll make God grant and He'll bless you. Okay? Or you have the grace of Jesus Christ by faith alone, and he saves me. And now I am only as free as Christ is. There are people who will come into the church, as they did here in Corinth, and they want to rob people of their freedom in Christ. Understand that these people came in behind the Apostle Paul. Where did they say they came from? Jerusalem. All right? You know what that means? Judaism. Judaism. They want to put you back into the bondage of a system. Okay? I, one of the things that, that I have with denominations is that sometimes I have watched that the denomination becomes the controlling factor. And it shouldn't be. Okay, I see a lot of denominations today. It's like IFCA. I love the guys of IFCA. Uh, Dr. MacArthur's IFCA, Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America. Okay, but they, <laughs> they're so cute because you sit and talk to them and they hate denominations, so they started their own. <laughs> and you're like, well, what? Okay. And, and you, and you watch that and you're like, well, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand that. And what happens a lot of times with denominations is they get one thing that is kind of like their little pet peeve. And I'm going to hang on that one. And that will be the the impetus of everything that we do. What is a Baptist? They believe in baptism. Uh, What's Presbyterian? Presbyteros. It is a regional control of hierarchy of elders. Okay, and you're like, you need a break, people. But it's just, you know, Calvary Chapel's that way. Calvary Chapel will not go outside of Calvary Chapel. They won't read another book outside of Calvary Chapel if it isn't Calvary Chapel. Listen, I, I read Lutherans and Methodists, old Methodists. 
Okay, John Wesley. <laughs> okay, oh, this new stuff. Oh, gee. Anyway, but okay, but I read across the board. And they will devour you. They will chew you up. You know what it means? It, the word literally means they will prey on you like a wild animal. Okay, they will devour you. It's the same term that you see used in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 47, where it says that the Pharisees who devour widows' homes, okay, they will take everything. And they will do it because they put you enslaved to a system. And our system needs this. A man can stand and say, God has said he will strike me dead if I don't get a billion dollars for my hospital. Makes you just want to walk up to him and say, duck. Okay. Perhaps you should write the check. All right. This is the kind of stuff that I see why I'm going to put the burden on you. That's what it means to be back enslaved to it. Why? So I can devour you. So I can chew you up. I will prey on you. Listen, they want the money. This is this is as common as anything I've ever seen. False are always in it for the money. To this day, it is often the widows that they take the money from. They take the money from the people who can least afford it. It's one of the, the banes of this TV evangelism stuff. What's your accountability to the boob tube? How do you know what that guy's doing? How do you know that he just doesn't want to go to Jamaica and he's going to give you some kind of, you know, I'll pray for you really hard as I lay on the beach. These false, they come and they take away your freedom. They take away your money. They, next thing you see there, they take advantage of you. If you move over, it's kind of funny. Paul uses a sarcasm in chapter 12 verse 16 but be that as it may i did not burden you myself nevertheless crafty fellow that i am i like the way he does that i took you in by deceit i took you in by deceit crafty fellow that i am why they take advantage of you why? It's what I just said. You are a means to an end. I am doing this for you for what I'm going to get. They suck you in. It literally, the, the Greek syntax means you're caught. They take advantage of you. You're caught. You're, you, you, they've enslaved you into a really cool system. They're preying on your emotions, okay, and your guilt. And now you're caught. They have sucked you into it. And you're like, well, that sounds right. It's obvious he cares or he wouldn't be here. Okay, have you ever noticed how much he smiles? He speaks so well. He's so flattering. He's so encouraging. 
He so wants my money. <laughs> that is the essence of it. I don't care what anybody says. This whole section started with what? You're mad at me because I'm not charging you for the gospel? Right? So what's the issue? Paul's not taking money from the Corinthians. Well, he doesn't love you or he'd take your money. And yet they're all saying, well, that's right. Okay, don't, don't worry, I love you more. Give me the cash. All right, but you think I'm kidding you, but you look at the church systems that are in Castle Rock right now. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're seeing. It's about the money. But they'll tell you it's not. I'm here to save souls. Oh, really? Then do it for free. I don't know how many pastors in this town, church planters is the new term now, that I say when the sending church quits paying you, are you staying? You know what? Everyone of them tell me yes until they leave. And it's funny, they really avoid me. They enslave you. They chew you up. And then they catch you. And let me tell you something. They will suck you dry. I have a saying in the front of my Bibles. And you all know my Bibles because they all have, well, there's several things in my Bibles, but they all have the same phrase. Better led by God than bled by life. Okay? And yet I know guys right now who are in pulpits this day who are taking from their congregations. Then he uses this. He says, they take advantage of themselves, take advantage of you, and anyone exalts themselves. They enslave you, they chew you up, they catch you, and in the middle of all of that, they're proud of it. Look at what I did. Look at my ministry. It's fascinating. They will be lording it over you. Why? I have given you the right system. I have given you the true system. I am preying on your emotions, your heartache maybe, your joy maybe. I'm preying on that. Why? So I can take advantage of you for the ministry. The great things the Lord shall do. And then I'm going to walk around in my new suit and tell you how good I am. Look at what I did. I knew a pastor here in Colorado. I didn't, he was a, he was bizarre. Good guy. It was obvious he studied the Bible, but the guy was making money hand over fist. And, and I remember talking to him one time. I don't know, it was a conference or something we were doing and we were talking. 
he, he was talking about his ministry and how successful it was and how he had reached every demographic in Denver. And, you know, they had some they had Native American ministry. They had uh, Spanish ministry. They had uh, homeless ministry and, and they, they were doing it all. They had the bells, the whistles and the lights and camera in action. I was like, that's cool. He says, you know, I think I've about got this done. I said, well, you do me a favor. He says, what's that? I says, when you get ready to leave, will you let me have that silk suit? Because <laughs> it was a nice suit. I was like, I'll, I'll take that. And we're about the same size. <laughs> I'd look good in that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what's tragic was he was killed shortly thereafter. I didn't get the suit anyway. <laughs> they will even go as far as hitting you in the face, he says. That's an interesting phrase. It could actually be physically somebody slapping you, or it could be a metaphor. The metaphor would be uh, if you slap somebody in the face, you were showing contempt to them. All right. These false teachers, and I have to be honest with you, the fact that they had turned their back on the Apostle Paul, it was obvious that these false teachers had humiliated the Corinthians. To strike one in the face in the culture was contemptuous. It was a sign of disrespect. You can look these up later. First Kings 22, 24, a prophet was sitting there and he was a false prophet. And the words of the Lord came out of another guy. And the false prophet slapped him on saying, how could God give you the words? Okay, but God does that occasionally. In Luke chapter 22, verse 64, what did they do to Jesus on his trial? Slapped him in the face. They were contemptuous to him. Acts 23, verse 2 refers to that same scenario again. They were treating the Corinthians with contempt. Why? That is the abusive nature of the false. They just use people and they take all they can get. And they do it with contempt of the people that they're taking it from. They slap you in the face because you mean nothing. It is what do you have? And you know what Paul is saying? Corinthians, you just tolerate it. You bear that. I, 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 I always go back to thinking... Somebody's reading this to the congregation. And, and to use today's vernacular, they get to this section here. Paul's saying, dude, you're being had. But that is the characteristic of the false. They are abusive to the people. It's like I shared with you. If you point out to a person an error in their teaching, you get one of two responses. Thank you. For showing me the, 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 the circumstances around that, or you get this, who are you to tell me? The false don't love the people, they love self. Do the false give themselves away for the people? Nah. They don't give up anything, they just take. Why? Because God called me, and because God called me, you owe me.
And you know what? I watch people get away with that. And I think, even if you believe it, don't say it. They don't give up anything. They will suck the church dry of its resources and its abilities. I watched that today. I watched that today. I know a church right now that has to pay $5,000. They have to have a minimum of $5,000 a week in giving to pay the interest on their note. Now think about that. What is your church doing? Paying the interest on a note. That's insane to me. A friend of mine took over a church. Huge. Well, it's the largest church in New Mexico. He took over that church. They had this massive complex. All right. Their yearly budget was $63 million. They were setting $45 million in debt. They gave nothing to missions. 500 member staff. Nothing to missions. Paying off their debt. My buddy took over the church. And within two years, the debt was gone. But he went to all the employees and he says, here's the deal. Are you doing it for the glory of the Lord or the paycheck? And they all said, no, they said for the glory of the Lord. He says, all right, you're not getting paid. Sure did figure out which ones were doing it for the glory of the Lord. All right. And he turned it around. I mean, it's amazing. They started giving to missions and they're having a great impact globally now. But it was painful. They will enslave them to a system. They will devour them. They will prey on them. They will take advantage of them in every way that you can think of possible. And they have disrespect and contempt. I was thinking about that guy, uh, Tilton, out of Texas. He sent all of his, all of his givers a little envelope that he called the prayer cloth. He wanted you to send him a hundred dollars back and you put your prayer request on that little envelope and you send it back to him. All right. And then his prayer warriors would commence to praying for your prayer request. One of the local news stations went down and opened up their trash dumpster and it was full of all of those envelopes with those prayer requests on it. All these people, a lot of them shut-ins, fixed incomes, were sending money, wanting the most intimate thing that you can have, prayer. And they were throwing it in the trash can. That's contempt. That is contempt. That's what the false do. Listen, you and I need to be discerning. I have it made in this era. Okay? You don't like what I say? Let's you and me sit down with the Bibles and figure it out, okay? What I teach, hold to the light of Scripture. Right? Paul didn't have that. Paul didn't say, well, go over and look at Corinthians, or go look at the Thessalonians, or go look at Romans, because he was in the process. Okay? I have that. You don't like what I'm saying? Show me. 
All right. So I have an advantage the Apostle Paul didn't have. But we need to be discerning. You need to be discerning. It's why I don't understand why people don't plug into church. Why? Do you understand that church protects you? God has empowered supernaturally people in that congregation to help protect you, to keep you from being gullible, to keep you from being deceived. That's what the church is for. You can measure one of these servants by this text. You can measure whether this person is true or false by this outline. Okay, but I want to touch something that I was asked about, and I told them that I'd already had a plan on this. All right, and they said, well, you, you know, you taught last week, and you didn't finish up the end of verse 15. So let's look back at 15. Whose end will be according to their deeds. You know what I like about that verse right there, that section? As a pastor and as a Christian. They won't get away with it. (laughs) I like that. They're not going to get away with it. It's frustrating at times when you look at the people who will flock to deception. And you keep thinking, don't they read? Second Peter chapter one, verse 16 and following. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. You know what he's talking about? Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? Pulled back his humanity. And he's standing there with Elijah and Moses. And God says. And Peter's sitting there going. Okay. Uh, What would you do? I'd have run down the hill screaming like a little girl. <laughs> I know what I'd have done. I don't know what you guys would do. Peter says, well, I'll build an altar. And I'm like, dude, I ain't building an altar. I'm getting out of here. All right. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, now I want you to look at what he does just right there. All right, what did he just say? I saw something that will freak you out. All right. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay? You know what he just told me? Lord, why don't you deal with these false teachers? I will. I will. But you, who I have called, 
bring the church to truth. Because greater than hearing God speak from heaven, greater than seeing the veil of Jesus' humanity removed and Elijah and Moses standing there, greater than all of that is this book. Is this book. And I understand that when I read this verse 15 whose end will be according to their deeds, greater is this book, is they won't get away with it. Okay? God has a different timetable. Did you know that? I just wonder. But you know what? It will happen. It will happen. The destiny of the false teacher will be consistent with their deceptive deeds. You ever thought about that? They will get what's coming to them to the degree of the deception that they have played. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, one of the verses that we always miss, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do miracles in your name? Away from me. Away from me. I never knew you. They will be judged according to their deed. They are marked out for judgment and it will be based on a life of deception. It will be a, based on a life of self-centeredness. Now listen, that is a serious warning. Right? Very serious. But let me give you one that's a little, maybe a little more emphasis on how serious this is. Okay, remember what I said? We heard God speak. All right? We heard God speak, Peter said. And he pulled back and the glory was there. And you hear God say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But you have the word. All right? And it is of greater than hearing God speak from heaven. Wow, that's pretty impressive. How important is it? If you go back to the second law, Deuteronomy, okay? The second law, okay? The second law was given to Israel because they're going into the promised land. Okay, when you get into the promised land, this is what we've got to deal with, okay? And this is the things you're going to have to deal with, okay? And this is how you will conduct yourself in this land that I'm going to give you. That's what the second law was for. That's what Deuteronomy was for. All right. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. All right. And the sign or the wonder comes true. Wow. Concerning which he spoke to you. So... Look, I said this was going to happen and poof, there it is. It happened. All right. So God must have sent him. And he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Well, wait a minute. He said he was going to do this and it happened. Why shouldn't we follow him? 
Why shouldn't we follow him? Look what he says. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. Well, that ain't fair. Was that a pop quiz? What do you mean you're testing me? Are you wanting the bells and whistles? Or do you want my word? If you follow, you shall follow the Lord your God and you and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Do you see how important the word is to God? Can you look at the condition of the church today? Okay, cursory view. And tell me that. Go to church today. Uh, I I had some uh, things go on this week and I have been checking out some websites of churches that I had never heard of. And (laughs) there's a reason. But they were wanting to do some group things. And so you, a lot of these you can get on there. I get nervous if you can't find doctrinal statement. Okay. But I can hear last week's message like I've got time. But anyway, I stop and I listen to it. Okay. I listened to three messages from churches in Castle Rock last week. Or yeah, last week. Okay. All three messages. I have no idea what Bible verse that they were talking about. It is no different than um, I, I I don't know team building. It's all it was. I mean, there was nothing in it that exalted God, exalted Jesus, or lifted up the book. You know, and I kept trying to tell myself, well, they edited out the reading of Scripture or something. But then you listen to the message and you're like, nah, I didn't edit it out. <laughs> it ain't in there. It's a, it was motivational. That's all it was. In the name of church. I listened to three messages and I said, even if you do a magic trick, you should be put to death. Because if you're not pointing to the book, what are you pointing to? Verse 5 says, put him to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord God, Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge that evil from among you. I think God is pretty serious about polluting the truth. What do you think? All right. Peter can tell us, you know what? We heard God speak from heaven. We saw the unveiled glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word is more important. Deuteronomy tells me that if a person says that he's doing signs and wonders and what he says he's going to do happens. But he leads you astray, seduces you to a lie. 
He's wanting you to rebel against your Lord. And he says, back to Corinthians, false teachers will get their day and they will have their judgment and the judgment of the divine is coming. God will judge them according to their deeds. You know that everyone is judged according to their deeds, even believers. You will give an account for what you have done in the body, whether good or bad, wood, hay or stubble, or gold, silver, precious stone. See, what's really nice about a saint When God looks at you and me in judgment, all he sees is the life of Christ and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is kind of comforting. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to our account, and God sees the evidence of that imputation in the transformed life. When he looks at the deeds of the unregenerate, all he sees is depravity and sin. Especially the false teachers. James 3.1 says, Not many should be teachers. Why? Harsher judgment. Did you get, you get, you know what the word harsher means? Just curious, I don't you know, understand because I see people say, well, I think I should teach. I think you should duck. Listen, I, you know, I was just thinking about this. I, I've spent a lot of time in, in the Corinthian letters and, and the adjacent stuff that where Paul was doing. You know, he's writing this in Ephesus. He writes Romans from Corinthians on his third trip back over. And, you know, kind of all of that, how it all plays out. There are two places the Apostle Paul, well, there's actually three, but the two that he spent ministering the longest at. Okay, the third place that he spent a lot of time at was jail. Okay. The two places he spent ministering to the saints were Ephesus and Corinth. All right. The thing about Ephesus and Corinth, if you look at it historically, Satan's servants were extraordinarily public. They were in your face. The temple of Bacchus, what a place. Bacchus was the wine god. And it had a trench that went to the center with a big bowl in it. And what you did to get spiritual is you went in and commenced to drinking wine. So much wine, you got so drunk that you puked and it would all roll down into that bucket. And then the temple priestesses would come out and... I'll give you three guesses. Okay, you could make a love offering. How's that? All right. I won't even get into the temple of Diana, which was in Corinth. The temple of Diana was the love temple. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. It was in your face. They weren't Satan's servants weren't uh, bashful. Both places, Paul had problems with false apostles. Both places. Acts chapter 20, when he said goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he says they may even arise from among yourselves. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. When Paul had success, Satan moves in with a vengeance with lies. Accusations and accusers. 
Right? Let me ask you a question. If you have success, what do you suppose will happen? You ever thought about that? Anytime that we have success, know emphatically Satan will move in with lies and accusers. I was thinking about some of the conflicts that I've had as, at, from this pulpit. And when I started having an impact um, on the teaching in Russia, is when I came back here, is when I started getting the accusations. People would accuse me. And so I'm just so looking forward to Azerbaijan. <laughs> Charismatic Muslims <laughs> come back to what? Just kidding. I, I share that because I want you to know these things. You take that stand, God says, when you are confident in what you know, okay, I, you will never have any confidence in what I know. Okay, what you know, when you have that confidence, then God says, watch this. And he starts opening doors for each and every one of you that will freak you out. And you will see lives change. You may see people come in to the Lamb's book of life. You may see people who were dormant all of a sudden, boom, blow into these great godly men and women that only history can comprehend. But know this. Once you become used by God, you now have an adversary You can sit and be absolutely quiet, smile and sing kumbaya till the cows come home and Satan don't care. When you open your mouth because of the confidence that God has given you in his word through the power of his spirit, guess what happens? You will start understanding why Paul calls it a war. And then it's really awesome because you become this amazing prayer warrior because you ain't got no other alternative. If you're on your knees, you don't have as far to get knocked down. That's how it works, people. The false are known. They're known for their arrogance, pride, Their deception, they do not want to be questioned, and their abuse, people are a means to an end. So I want to give you three things. I want you to think about You can kind of store these away. One, do not be deceived by clever, spiritual-sounding words. All right? You go talk to a Mormon right now, he will use the same vocabulary that you use. But you will find out that they love Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and spirit because that's Lucifer's brother. What? Yep. Yep. Jehovah's Witness will tell you that they are preparing for the millennial kingdom. And they are part of the 144,000. And I love that when they tell me that. 
Because then I say, what tribe are you? Okay? Because you know, at least the Mormons are willing to say, I'm of the tribe of Dan. And I said, I thought so. Okay? Because Dan don't get to go. (laughs) So, you know, I, I was betting heavy on that one. Okay? Roman Catholicism does not believe that you should read your Bible because you can't understand it. We will tell you what to do. Okay? And you can buy yourself out of hell. Or if you've got a rich uncle, he can get you out of hell. Alright? Minor details. But they will use the same vernacular that you are used to. See, the deceitful work very, very hard at the deception. They are flattering, but they are deceitful. They are masquerading. They have a different spirit. They have a different Jesus. They have a different gospel. But you know what? They're going to use biblical terms. Why? They are following the father of lies. They always talk of God. They always talk of Christ. They always talk of the gospel. They always talk of the Bible. Right? That is the deception. Neither of those believe in the Trinity, which is really cool because when they come to visit me, it's always funny. They never ask me what I do for a living. And they come to visit me and they says, can we spend a moment with you? I said, yes, I have some questions. And they come in and they have their Bibles because I don't have a Bible, right? Most people who are home on the afternoon, they don't have no Bible. So he gives me their Bible and I go through and I start pointing out the verses that deal with the Trinity. I thought you said there was one God. Yes. Then why does it say here, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus will be at ease in your body and that God will do exceedingly abundantly what you can imagine. What is that? Sure looks like three. We'll get back to you. That's literally what they say. We'll we'll be back. All right. So, but I I want you to understand they're going to use the same vernacular. If they're disguised as an angel of light, they're going to use your terminology. Don't fall for it. Two, do not overlook the issue of money. Please. When I became the senior pastor of this church, I made sure I can't do anything with the money in this church. I have no ability to write a check, to get into the savings. I can't do nothing at all. And when it comes budget time, if there's nobody there but me, I don't get a raise. I don't deal with it. Why? Well, it's obvious I'm I'm good. Why? I don't have an issue with the money. And yet I watch it all the time. And it's done subtly. We did a demographic study and it says you guys can afford another church. What do you mean I can afford another church? Oh. A paycheck. Who'd have thunk it? Don't overlook it. It's a big issue in this text. 
This section was started by the fact that the Apostle Paul was not charging for the gospel. Okay, what I the easiest way is look at their lifestyle. Look at their lifestyle. What is their personal wealth? Okay, how is it gained? How is it spent? All right, that ain't hard to see. Look at what the peddler of pop religion does. You know, I know guys right now who have been in this town less than five years are getting four vacations a year. How does that work? I went and looked at my contract. My contract doesn't even say I get a vacation. I just sneak off to the, the great places of the world like Azerbaijan and, and, you know, great places, you know, right by the Caspian Sea. It's wonderful when it's thawed out. But, he, you know, and listen, you guys have been very gracious to me. I, I will never. But the thing is, is I'm sitting there going, well, that sounds like you're getting a job. Well, it's the stress. 90% of the pastors in this town teach Sunday morning. Every once in a while, they'll teach Saturday night and Sunday morning. That's it. Paul would go from house to house, day and night. And he was doing it for nothing. Listen, just mark it in your head. Religion is big business today. Okay? Thirdly, it may be the single most important. Please. Do not make tolerance a virtue. Okay? You can never, there can never, ever, ever be any tolerance with error. Never any time. Listen, Paul's enemies were not just differing brothers. They, they weren't, you know, differing in their traditions. They were the devil's servants disguised to carry out satanic plots to destroy God's work. Listen, I can't exaggerate that danger enough. Tolerance is not a virtue. Truth is truth. And the war that has always been is against truth. And it started back with this simple statement. Has God said... Listen, Christian love is not gullible sentimentalism. It is more loving to confront it than it is to say, well, they're just kind of off the mark a bit. Listen, I was reading John Calvin, and uh, he made this statement. What we agree on is not the issue. What we fight about is the important issue. Okay? Fighting for truth is the highest calling that we have. If you don't believe me, turn on the news and look at our culture. All right? 
It is not a time for the church of Jesus Christ to be gullible. So you need to protect yourself and you do it by knowing truth. The reason that God has a church here is that you have people in that body who have fought the battle, are in the battle, are preparing for the battle to help you do the very same. Okay? That's why the body of Christ is here. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And I shared to you what the ministry is. Once you are confident in what it says, God says, step it up. He opens the door, you walk through the door, and the accusations will begin. Because once you start impacting the kingdom of darkness, he doesn't like that. Understand this, the book of Job tells me he can do nothing to me that God does not allow. And God will provide a way that I may stand under it. The same is for you. True and a false. The mark of the true, humble, immersed in truth, a life of love, sacrificial. The giving of self. The mark of the false, pride, deception, and abusive to the people. It's that simple. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for your precious bride, your church. Lord, may we all be workers approved, rightly dividing your truth. Every one of us. And Father, some of them may be, some of us may be teachers, some may not. But let our lives be lives of humble, Service, Father, service that is immersed in your word. And, Father, a sacrificial selflessness of love to all that you bring into our lives. As the Apostle Paul walked in a manner worthy, Father, may each of us press to that goal. Father, we love you. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for the Corinthians. And Father, that I see in 7 and 9 that they uh, turn the corner. Thank you for the churches that stand on your truth, that, Father, are doing it in the power of you, your word, the authority of your word, and that, Father, that you and you alone receive all of the glory. Thank you that our ministries are nothing more than an extension of Christ to a lost and dying world. And may we understand that, and, Father, may we cherish and embrace it. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name, amen.